Michael, how are you? I found something really interesting. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. So Mike Burry, who gets his hair cut at Supercuts and doesn't wear shoes, knows more than Alan Greenspan. Dr. Mike Burry, yes he does. <laughs> you know what? I'm pissed off. American people are getting screwed by the big banks. And I am getting madder and madder. It's unbelievable. Then this guy walks into my office and says, There's some shady stuff going down. All the banks were having a big old party. A few outsiders saw what no one else could. The whole world economy might collapse. I'm sure the world's banks have more incentives than greed. You're wrong. No one's paying attention. The banks got greedy. And we can profit off of their stupidity. You want to bet against the banks? I think we're either high or having a stroke. Kind of brilliant. Fraud has never, ever worked. Eventually, things go south. When the hell did we forget all that? How can the banks let this happen? It's fueled by stupidity. But that's not stupidity, that's fraud. Tell me the difference between stupid and illegal and I'll have my wife's brother arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea what you just did? You just bet against the American economy. If you're wrong, you can lose it all. The banks and defraud of the American people. Now we can kick them in the teeth. Okay, here we go. You target strippers with bad loans. Mm -hmm. No, cash rich. Not going to be able to refinance. On all my loans? What do you mean all your loans? I have five houses. Anaconda. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. You are tuned into the Film Literature and the New World Order podcast from CorbettReport.com, and I'm your host, as always, James Corbett. And this month, as you may have guessed, we are talking about The Big Short, the 2015 feature film from director Adam McKay of Anchorman and Anchorman 2 fame, an interesting choice for a, a director for a movie on a complicated financial subject. But in some ways, maybe it makes sense. It does certainly lend itself to a more entertaining style of film than you would expect from such a potentially dry, boring, or complicated subject. And I think we can all agree, if you have seen this movie, and I hope you have, that it is not dry or complicated, overly complicated. Uh, I think it makes its point fairly well, and surprisingly well. So we're going to dissect this movie, what it does well, and, of course, the parts of the story that it leaves out. But in order to do that, let's talk to someone who knows a thing or two about this story, and that is Robert Wenzel, who is the author and publisher of the Economic Policy Journal at economicpolicyjournal.com. And he's also the author of an interesting book, The Fed Flunks, My Speech at the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Late last year, he produced a, an article for Economic Policy Journal, The Big Short, an almost great movie. So let's bring him on board. Robert Wenzel, thanks for joining us today. Hi, James. You're welcome. 
All right, Robert, let's start getting into the nitty-gritty details and deconstructing this movie, what it gets right and what it gets wrong and what it misses out altogether. And I think that this is gestured at in your article, The Big Short, an almost great movie. Almost great, because it really is, I think, surprisingly a lot better than you would expect a mainstream Hollywood uh, version of this story to be told. But, of course, as is to be expected, it doesn't get the story completely right. So, in your estimation, what what is great about this movie and what is not great about this movie? Uh, James, I'll tell you what it did. And, and when it was right, it was phenomenally well done. Just a great job. And what, what it showed is how these types of money managers, hedge fund managers make decisions, what it's like when you're taking a big position against the mainstream and you're losing money short term and your investors are upset with you and yet you see what's going on and what will occur eventually and you just hold tough. So it, 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 it's just great at showing how these decisions are made the kind of homework that is necessary, and uh, then then how difficult it is from an emotional position to just hold on to these positions when uh, the markets are trending against you short term. It's it's phenomenal uh, as far as that's concerned. It's also very good at showing how difficult it, uh, a game Wall Street is because there will be people who will attempt to screw you one way or the other, and you just have to outthink them and, and figure out what possibilities uh, might come at you and, and how to deal with them. And with that kind of stuff, I've, I've never seen a movie like this. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal at getting all that across. I completely agree with that assessment. In fact, that was one of the things that struck me when I was watching this, is the idea that I uh, I hadn't really contemplated, but the the idea that there are these people holding the the credit default swaps, basically betting on the the mortgage uh, uh, mortgages to default, but they have to hold on during the time when it is starting to fall apart, and yet at the same time, although the bond values are going down, they're they're being valued higher and higher. I mean, it's it's absolutely insanity uh, what was going on at that time, and to hold that position. As it looks like you're going to be completely wiped out because you know on the other side of it you're going to win. It must be, I mean, I, I, it's kind of strange to be sympathizing with the people who are betting on the end of the world as we know it. But it, that, that really is the position you get into in this movie. Right. And I'll, I'll tell you what's, what's really interesting is it, it, it shows how there will be other Wall Street players, traders who will attempt to do things so that you can't profit if it's going to hurt them. And that... That's just part of the Wall Street game. So when, when I see these charges brought up on against traders for manipulating the LIBOR rate and, and all this kind of stuff, I, I just consider it minuscule, min, min, minuscule stuff that goes on on a daily basis. If, if people just understood how Wall Street worked, they would realize that's not, not a big deal. These, there's, there's people on every side of a trade all the time, and, and they will do, especially if they've got – Serious money, they're very, very tough guys, and they will do whatever it takes to uh, uh, show a profit. And, and you have to just be smarter than them and, and figure out every angle and, and know how to protect yourself. 
That's right. And I think the point, uh, the movie does make that point when they point out, I, I think it was one Credit Suisse trader that ended up getting going to jail for uh, hiding a few billion in bad mortgages, which, as the movie points out, most of the, uh, the major banks were doing on a daily basis. So uh, it's pretty arbitrary who ends up going to jail or more to the right. point, uh, right. you know, if you have power yeah. and influence, you don't go to jail. Yeah, no, no question about that. And uh, I, I, I just, the, the thing that could, and it's, it's not something that is necessary for the movie, but if, if people could just understand, this sort of happens in every market with every stock. I mean, they're just stuff, there's, there's guys short, their market makers are, are short something, there are other people that are long, and, and, and people have different incentives to see different things go on. And on a short-term basis, they'll, they'll, they'll do what they can. But in the long term, Whatever trend is going on in the market, that's that's what will eventually uh, develop. And, and this sort of stuff on, on a short term basis is is noise, but it's it's tough noise if you don't know what you're doing and, and you can get killed if you don't know what you're doing. Exactly right. Well, OK, so let's get into the other side of this. Then it's an almost great movie because it doesn't quite go far enough. It leaves out a very, very important fundamental underlying point of how the markets arrived in the spot that they did to start creating these uh, CDOs and synthetic CDOs and all these crazy instruments on top of these subprime mortgages. And that is, of course, the Federal Reserve, often excluded from uh, economic and monetary thinking, although it should not be, obviously. Let's let's talk about the Fed and its role in creating the bubble of the, uh, the mid-2000s. Sure. Uh, uh, the Federal Reserve was was right there. Th- there would have never been a bubble in the housing market if it wasn't for the Federal Reserve. And that's one thing that is just not made clear in the movie at all. It's just sort of blamed on uh, the banking system and uh, the types of mortgages that were made at the time. And it's true, there were a lot of sloppy mortgages in the, the banking sector uh, was was probably sort of had in the back of their mind, well, if this all goes bad, the uh, the government will bail us out. I mean, that was sort of probably a deep back thought. But not all of Wall Street is bad. Not all of banking is bad. It's The, the uh, funding of businesses is extremely important. Uh, the, the funding of uh, new ventures, the funding of uh, uh, businesses that are expanding is, is extremely important. And it's not all evil. And, and that's the sense you get from this movie is that all banks are bad, that they need to be regulated in, in, in a thousand different ways. And uh, that that's the problem. And, and that isn't the problem at all. The problem is the government bank, the Federal Reserve, without the Federal Reserve pumping in money the way they did, uh, the, the crisis would never have happened. And, and I happen to have in real time in 2008. Uh, warned about the financial crisis that was developing. I got invited to the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York to uh, uh, discuss exactly how I uh, how I saw it coming when the Federal Reserve didn't. And most interesting, in 2005, there were two New York Federal uh, Reserve economists by the name of uh, McCarthy and Peach who wrote a paper saying there is no housing bubble when it was clear there was a housing bubble at that time. And, and I wrote a... Uh, a rebuttal to their paper, and I said they're making the greatest mistake since Irving Fisher in 1929 said stocks were at a new high plateau and they would never crash. And uh, you know, sure, sure enough, it it took a f- couple more years down the road, but 
the the major trend came about in in the market in housing crashed and uh, it was clear there was a bubble. So you basically have a situation where that part of the movie, that story wasn't told. It wasn't told how the Fed was supporting it by their research, by the money they printed. And if that money wasn't printed, you have to ask yourself, how how could you possibly have so many uh, loans go out there in the subprime market and and to people of uh, questionable means to actually borrowing for mortgages? Where did this money come from? And it's very simple. The uh, Federal Reserve created the money. And if they did not create the money, that would never, never have that that crash would never have occurred. There would have never been such a bubble. Right. Well, let's walk people through this because we did get uh, a lot of very simple explanations, I think, or easy to follow explanations of the of what was happening there in the, the subprime mortgage markets in the movie itself. But of course, we didn't get that breakdown of the Fed and how. Uh, the Fed's rates control really the, the underlying basis for those markets. So let's walk people through that and talk about how the rates got down to where they were, why they were held there for so long, how that created the bubble, and then ultimately what uh, what resulted from that. Yeah, it's not really as much the actual interest rate because you can have periods when interest rates are way, way down like they are now. and You don't necessarily have a, a bubble and booming uh, real estate market. You, you sort of have it coming back now from the uh, crash, but it's still not at levels that it was prior to the crash when interest rates were a lot higher. So it's not not the key isn't the interest rate level as much as it is how much money is the Federal Reserve pumping into the banking system, which allows the banking system to loan more money out. And the problem is if, if the Fed could just print money forever, you could you could have a bubble forever. But the problem comes in that you start to get inflation heating up, prices are starting to climb, people are starting to get antsy about all that, and the Federal Reserve gets concerned, and they start slowing down the amount of money they're pumping in. And when they slow down that money, you don't have the same amount of money uh, propping it all up, you're going to have a crash. It's, it's, it's sort of like a, a game of musical chairs. When, when the music's going around and, and there's enough chairs for everybody, that's fine. But if you take one chair away, you know, that, that's going to be a problem for someone. You take more chairs away, more problems. And with the, uh, with the Federal Reserve, what they do is they pump more money in and more money in and more money in. And then suddenly they slow down and uh, stop printing the money. So it, does, it can't prop up all those mortgages that are out there if somebody wants to sell they can't find uh, somebody who has uh, new money to come in to, to buy it at the higher prices. And, and that's how you see the, uh, the collapse. Well, we know that since the collapse, the, the quantitative easing world has, uh, has, has arisen. And we've got that reality where the Fed has been using that mechanism to pump money into the banks and to basically buy their toxic assets off of them. But what was the mechanism by which they were pumping money into the, in, into the banking system before that point? Yeah, essentially, the, the Federal Reserve uses uh, three types of tools to uh, uh, control the money supply. They, uh, they, do, they, they can control the uh, interest rates. They can control what's known as the reserve requirement, how much banks uh, are required to hold based upon uh, the, the uh, reserves they have. And, and then they do something called open market corp, uh, operations. 
Generally, what they've done with open market operations is they have uh, bought treasury bills. So all I consider these quantitative easings is sort of a, a, a subset of the open market operations. They shifted a little bit and they went to direct bailouts of the, uh, the banksters, the major banks that were involved, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, people like that. And, and what they did is instead of just buying treasury securities, they went and they started buying securities that were uh, held by the banks, the uh, uh, various uh, um, mortgage secu securitization packages. And that's what caused the, uh, uh, the, the what Bernanke called the, uh, the quantitative easing or part, or part of the quantitative easing. But it wasn't really a new tool. That's kind of misleading. And uh, the, the Federal Reserve can do a lot of damage without ever doing another quantitative easing. But that's just sort of a, a subset of uh, the, the general tools they use. And, and the most important one is, again, the open market operations where the, uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, specifically the uh, New York Federal Reserve Bank, uh, operates a trading desk where they go and trade with uh, primary dealers. Those are selected banks and uh, in other trading org organizations, and they buy and sell securities. For the most part, they're, they're buying or buying on net, and uh, they generally tend to buy uh, short-term securities. During this Bernanke period of quantitative easing, they bought long-term securities for a while, and then most important, they bought some of these uh, securita securitized uh, investments that, that the banks had. If, if people are looking, I, I see a lot of commentary out there saying, well, there's going to be another quantitative easing or watch out for the next quantitative easing. The Fed can go in there and do all kinds of damage without announcing any other kind of quantitative easing. All they have to do is uh, just go in and buy treasury bills and like, like they do on a, on a regular basis, and they can do a lot of damage. Hard to represent that in a movie. <laughs> I mean, right. This is the underlying right. well, well, problem of the narrative. Yeah, my, James, my, my, I don't think they should. They necessarily had to go into that kind of detail, but they should have simply pinpointed that the Federal Reserve was printing money at that time. Because what they did, and they actually closed with this, is they showed pictures of different banks to really give. In bankers, there was a picture of uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the head of J.P. Morgan Securities. J.P. Morgan Chase, and uh, you know he's 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 one of the top banksters, and you know he he doesn't deserve a pass, but he's not he's not the key uh, element in the story. The key element is the uh, Federal Reserve, and it's not banks. That's the that's the sort of inaccurate impression that was given that it was sort of all banks. That's the impression you're left with that the banks were making these. Uh, horrific mortgages, and that therefore we need controls on the banks. That's really not not what was going on. It was the the Federal Reserve providing all this money, and the bankers feeling comfortable that the Federal Reserve would come in to back them up if things went wrong, and that's that's exactly what happened. Well, to the film's credit, I think the only mention that I could remember in the film, uh, from my viewing uh, of government regulatory 
oversight or lack of oversight over the process itself was the the, the mention of the uh, uh, the woman who had left the SEC and gone directly into a job with the banks that she was supposedly regulating. So I, I, it certainly didn't seem that the movie was making an argument for regulation per se. It just wasn't really making the argument the way it perhaps should have been made. Yeah, I, see, I, I, if, if you look at the movie right through to the end, the last, the closing minutes are all about showing the, the, uh, the, the banksters and, and really just giving that impression. And, and I, I saw it in a couple of reviews after the movie was out, that that's pe- what people sort of the sense they got that, well, you know, if the banks are doing all this, making all these bad loans, then what we need to do is get in there and uh, put some limitations on the banks so that they won't make these bad loans again. But that's 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 not where the core problem is. The core problem is the Federal Reserve. And you can put all the uh, restrictions on the banks you want as far as, uh, as uh, loaning out in the uh, subprime market or. Uh, different sectors and the money's if the fed is printing money it's going out there somewhere it may not be in that sector but you have to stop the federal reserve from printing the money that's really the key and the problem but also at the end of the movie mark baum comes to the realization that uh of the moral hazard argument that they they did it because they knew they would be bailed out at taxpayer expense they they didn't care they were just you know so I think it was obviously, I mean, a question of, yes, greed, but also the underlying part of that is the fact they knew the government would not let them fail. Right, right. Of course, that that, that is true in general, but it didn't work for Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. Right. And for Lehman Brothers, it was just a case where I think the, the, the uh, people at Lehman Brothers, the, the, the top personnel were people that sort of were being kicked out of the uh, – insider club and uh, they were sort of taken down as a matter of fact when uh, lehman brothers went down and then bear stearns went down uh after those two went down the um uh next one that looked like it had trouble was was going to be citigroup and uh i i wrote at economicpolicyjournal.com my, my website that uh that now there will be a bailout there's no yeah. way they're letting citigroup down yeah. And, and of course, that's that's what they protected. Wasn't so, uh, Citigroup uh, from the ashes of uh, National Citibank back in the day? Oh yeah, from the old days. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the the key really was was that Robert Rubin, who was uh, Treasury Secretary in the uh, Clinton administration, was uh, at that point running the uh, uh, running the bank as. Um, co-chairman or or some uh, it, it appeared he didn't really want the position but he was kind of pushed into it and then there's a famous call he made to uh federal reserve chairman ben bernanke that showed up on uh, ben bernanke's uh phone logs and uh ruben claimed that he was uh just calling bernanke to tell him he was doing a great job so there you go uh, it would be funny i suppose if it wasn't uh you know trillions of dollars right. of wealth and people being homeless at the end of it. Right. Um, right. Well, I, okay. Well, let's, let's be optimistic then. Let's say that there are people out there and I'm sure there are who have seen this movie and are appalled or re appalled at what happened and are looking for more answers about this and about what fundamentally is underlying this. I note that in your article, the big short and almost great movie, you start by saying that uh, 
in addition to rec- recommending this movie to people to see, you will also recommend they read Street Fighting at Wall and Abroad, uh, an insider's, trader, insider's tale of stock manipulation, and The Professional Commodity Trader, along with Peter Lynch books. Can you tell us about those resources? Sure. Those are specifically aimed at people who sort of want to get involved in Wall Street. Those books are about how stocks are, to use a better word, manipulated. Uh, it's it's more of for someone that really wants to look at the insider game. That's not going to give you the uh, the, the big picture stuff. Um, my 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 book, The Fed Flunks, where I where I give the speech at the Federal Reserve, and also. Uh, report in there how I, in, in real term, uh, uh, real time on my economic policy journal.com blog warned about the uh, crisis that was developing tends to give you a more of a, of a bigger picture from there. You, you really, you're getting into, uh, more technical books. There's a, a great book by Murray Rothbard, although, uh, it doesn't cover quantitative easing. It was written in the eighties uh, called the mystery of banking, which is excellent in explaining how the Federal Reserve actually pumps money into the system. So that's that's a really really good book. Uh, one thing I would add the 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 surprises generally come in directions that most people don't expect. So people everybody was buying into the mortgage market. I'd written pieces for for a couple of years before the crash, saying I can't believe this. I was in a pizza shop and you know guys were exchanging stories about how they're gonna. Uh, put on a second and third mortgage and then sell it and buy a new house. And I said, oh, you know, all these guys are going to lose and all that kind of stuff. But at that time, you, you you couldn't talk to these people and tell them, say, look, watch out. The danger is there. Now the problem is, and, and there are very, very few people that believe this, that there's going to be a major new accelerating inflation that I see. And uh, that's where you really have to pay attention. That's where where the next danger is going to be. Uh, which means, you know, the old inflation hedges, sort of like gold and silver and things like that, are, are very, very important to have at that time. At this, at, when that inflation starts to uh, develop, uh, it was interesting that just this last week, uh, gold uh, closed up one day sixty-five dollars an ounce, which is really uh, a remarkable spike. And, and I, I don't think that's the last time we're going to see spikes of uh, that size in gold. It might not happen ex- right away, but maybe uh, six months to 12 months down the road. You mentioned the Fed flunx and your speech at the Federal Reserve Bank, but people may not know the story of that. How did that come about? How did you get to speak at the New York Fed and what did you tell them? Yeah, well, that that was kind of interesting because what happened, uh, again, I uh, these two economists wrote a book in uh, 2005, Why There Is No housing bubble, or there is no housing bubble. And I replied to them at that time that, that there was, I, I wrote a paper, and they actually, and, and, and I, I did say they're making the biggest mistake since Irving Fisher in 1929, and they actually went around the country uh, when, when they were telling their story and showing us a, uh, a slide of my quote saying, calling it an opposing view, and I'm sure they got a lot of snickers at the time uh, when... Uh, when I said they were making the, the biggest mistake. So um, th- then what happened is uh, the Federal Reserve, after the financial crisis came out and, and named a couple of uh, economists that uh, sort of warned about the thing, and, and uh, I contacted them and said, um, 
you know, why, why don't you, uh, you know, you, you should note that I'm in that group. Here it is in real time throughout. Uh, not, not only did I issue the rebuttal to uh, uh, the uh, paper saying there was no housing bubble, bubble, but I called the exact timing of it in the summer of 2008. And I said, you should, you know, mention me the next time you're, you're identifying economists that called it because I, I nailed it pretty well. And then uh, I actually uh, started a conversation with Richard Peach, who was one of the economists that uh, wrote There Is No Housing Bubble. And uh, at some point, he uh, said to me, he said, well, why don't you come on over and, uh, you know, give us a little talk on uh, why, uh, you know, how, how you saw this coming and, and the differences between your view and what we saw. So I said, sure. And, and he sent out a uh, uh, notice to all the economists of the Federal Reserve. And I thought to myself, wow, I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't think they realize how big a critic of the uh, Federal Reserve I am. And uh, sure enough, within a few hours, it was canceled. But then he, uh, Richard Peach is just, is, is, a, is a great guy to contact me. Don't worry, you were still going to have the, uh, we were still going to have you speak and all that kind of stuff. We just had to do it a different way. And uh, so I wasn't sure until I, I walked, I, I got into the Federal Reserve, whether that I was actually going give, to give the speech and uh, but it, once I was in, if, if I had to give it in the in the men's bathroom at the Federal Reserve, I was going to do it. And uh, you have to go through like two or three security checks. Uh, and then then Peach came down and he had uh, about three tables reserved, looked like for possibly as many as 36 people. And he he told me most of them were going to be late, which which really didn't surprise me. And he came down and and. Uh, uh, couple of other guys and that was it there was just a couple of us there and uh so i told him i says look you know i prepared this speech and it's i'm, I'm going to deliver it here and, and i did and uh we actually had a really good conversation after that and i really learned how narrow a view they have of how the economy works my perspective comes from what's known as the austrian school of economics which uh uh uh, Friedrich Hayek is a me- was a member, and he uh, received the Nobel Prize for his work in business cycle theory, which is what I used to predict the uh, 2008 financial crash. And they re- they really were not familiar with his work at all, which really really surprised me. I mean, uh, Austrians all know about the Keynesian theories that the Federal Reserve operates under, but they seem to have uh, very very little understanding of. Uh, what uh, Austrians think, and uh, that might have been part of the problem. Now, I have a, uh, interestingly enough, this weekend I put up a piece where it appears that one of the uh, New York Federal Reserve uh, economists plagiarized work by Murray Rothbard, who's another great Austrian economist, and uh, they sort of uh, um, stated some of his views without making it clear that that they got it from him, and there was a... uh, an economist who went through, an Austrian who went through and sort of detail and said, here, look, this is what Murray Rothbard wrote. Here's what they wrote. So I'm glad, plagiarism or not, I'm glad that they're sort of taking a look at the Austrian and understand that, you know, we sort of have a pretty good uh, theory as far as how the business cycle works. 
So I guess the real question, although it may be a rhetorical one, is why was the movie not based on yourself and your story rather than Michael Burry? And uh, and the other question, I guess, who would play you in the movie? <laughs> yeah, well, that that would have to be uh, who would play me in the movie. I'd have to, you know, uh, I, I don't know who the... Tom Cruise, maybe. Director. I don't know. Who's that? <laughs> Tom Cruise, maybe. Tom Cruise, all right. I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, I, I could go with that. They, they probably just weren't familiar with, with, with me. I mean, uh, but, well... Michael Lewis wrote the book uh, and that the movie was based on. And he really uh, he, he probably has a lot of Wall Street contacts that that knew Burry. And that's that's how that that sort of thing uh, got going. So uh, that might be one explanation. And then there's also I actually published a paper at Economic Policy Journal uh, by a gal who uh, sort of wrote something negative about Michael Lewis. So Michael Lewis probably was not too excited about promoting my site. Right. Okay, let's talk then about Economic Policy Journal and the work that you do there. Okay, great. What what, uh, EconomicPolicyJournal.com is a a website where I I post different commentary on the economy uh, from an Austrian school perspective, which sometimes... Uh, works with regard to uh, free market economics, in regard to the business cycle, which is specifically an Austrian theory. And, and I talk about different things that are going on in, in the world and, and what might develop. I um, also uh, cover different personalities in the uh, economic movement. I uh, cover some of the major players that are sort of anti-Austrian, such as the uh, New York Times the, uh, columnist uh, Paul Krugman, and uh, I like to think I destroy some of his terrible arguments, and so so we have a lot of fun, and uh, and also I'm I'm pretty tough even on Austrians. There's a bunch of them I'm calling Austrian lights right now, because they they sort of hold this view that the economy is always going down, and 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 I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, the the Austrian school business cycle theory is a boom-bust cycle. So, yeah, there, the, by the Federal Reserve manipulating money supply, there is a bust, but there are times when there's a boom. And, and uh, I think to a large degree uh, that's being ignored right now. And, you know, unemployment is way down. It was as, as high as 10, over 10% uh, a couple of years ago. Now it's below 5%. You can argue – uh, whether that number is manipulated a little bit by the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics or not. And and I, I don't doubt that the government can and does manipulate numbers at some time, but I don't really see a specific reason for them to do it uh, at, at this time with regard to that. And, and I'm here in uh, based in San Francisco, and, and I see the boom around here, and I see some people raising incredible amounts of money that you would never see in a bus period. This is There's money out here that is absolutely – Tremendous. You see it in the uh, real estate market here, and uh, you also see it in New York and a couple of other parts of the country. So the the money is being funneled, the the Federal Reserve money is being funneled into sort of specific geographic regions, and and this is one of them. And this is this is not what the bus period is going to be like. The bus period, um, when it comes, I mean, it's going to be real bad. It may not be for another couple of years or maybe even longer, but when it comes. You're gonna you're gonna have a crash like you wouldn't believe the next time around. Um, my landlord, where where I rent space from, uh, I've got a nice space here in a new building that was just constructed last year, 
And I told him, I says, do you realize, you know, your, your, your model here with your, they're renting mostly to high tech companies. They said, these, these companies are not going to survive. They're basically uh, surviving on money printed by the Fed. They're not making any money. And they just keep on going back and back to the markets. So I said, when this is over, these people are not going to be able to afford these rents. You're going to have 80% of the building uh, empty. I'm going to be one of the very few that's going to be able to afford to stay here and maybe two or three others. I pointed out some names to him. I said, what I'm paying now for my space, I'm going to, be, I'm going to take half a floor. And you're going to be glad I'm paying you that for half a floor. So um, that, that's what the next downturn is going to look like. This, this is not a downturn now. The, uh, it's a boom-bust cycle, and we are in a, in a significant boom. And uh, the warning is because we haven't had significant price inflation, it's been just under 2%, that most people just do not think it's going to come back. But once the oil price stops to fall, and really what's interesting is the Federal Reserve has even said this. They, they, they just don't realize how big the inflation is that's going to come back. But they have stated clearly in their, uh, in their forecast and, and when they go out and give speeches, uh, Janet Yellen, who's the Fed chairman, and the Federal Reserve vice chairman, Stanley Fisher, have made clear. They say, you know, all that has to happen is for the oil price to stabilize. And you're going to start to see the uh, overall price inflation numbers uptick. And they're absolutely true about that. But they, the problem is they don't realize how quickly inflation can, uh, can kick up. They're at a uh, uh, point where they think it may go to 2%. Uh, I, I was here recently uh, at a uh, conference where uh, the uh, San Francisco Federal Reserve President John Williams was here. I said, well, what if inflation ticks up higher to 3%? Will you, will you consider that? Uh, sort of too hot. Will you will you start pulling in the reins on on things? And he says, well, it depends upon the uh, other numbers and environment at that time. And it's it's kind of what I expected him to to say. And what's going to happen is inflation's going to go. Their, their target is two percent. It's going to go to three percent, and they're going to say, well, it's because the oil price is not going up a little bit. So. It, it can go up a little bit on the on the high side. And it's no big deal. So they're not going to worry about it till 3% until it's over 3%. It'll get to 5%. Then they're going to start worrying about it. But in order to fight inflation at 5%, you have to raise interest rates above 5%. Now, these are interest rates that they had from zero to a quarter percent that they've now raised from a quarter percent to a half a percent. They are not suddenly going to raise rates to six or seven percent to battle the five percent inflation, so inflation is going to get away from them and climb even higher. You, you don't know where where it's going to stop, but I just see a uh, a major major problem coming down the road, and very 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 few people see it. They're all talking about uh, rates going uh, down from here. You never know what's going to happen in the short term, especially with the oil price going down. But uh, looking out, not that far. Six months, 12 months, you're, you're going to start to see the inflation bubble uh, start to develop. And it's, it's very, very interesting uh, how strongly gold reacted this week. And what's also interesting is the first time in a long time you saw the dollar drop against many, many currencies. Up until now, whenever oil went down, the dollar was going up because you really had uh, a lot of these oil producing company uh, countries uh, – scrambling to get dollars to pay their the dollar debts and all that kind of stuff. But there must be so much dollar overhang 
around the globe, and given the amount of money that's printed, that doesn't surprise me, that even with the dollar dropping, and you've got countries from Saudi Arabia to Russia to Venezuela scrambling for dollars to pay their debt because they're not getting it. These are top oil producing companies, and they're not generating it by selling oil. Despite them uh, scrambling for dollars, you're starting to see the dollar weaken, which is really, really a serious sign. Because when that dollar breaks and starts to fall in foreign exchange markets, that's going to put additional pressure on uh, price inflation here in the United States. So I, I expect it just coming from, uh, from the domestic side. But when you, when you add dollar weakness on top of it, watch out. Hmm. Well, I think we'll have to keep our eye on that, and hopefully people will be keeping their eye on economicpolicyjournal.com, where you'll, I'm sure, have the ringside seat and be uh, in the catbird seat looking out for that. But in the meantime, let's put a bow on this conversation. In the Fed flunks, of course, you gave the Federal Reserve an F on their report card. What about your report report card for the big short? If you had to give it an A to F, what would you give it? Mm, that's a really tricky question. I, I would say... Uh... The, the error they made was a serious error in not bringing the Federal Reserve in and sort of gave people uh, a, a bad direction. So I, I have to say because of that, an overall a B minus, but for explanation of how uh, hedge fund managers and money managers work and all that. I mean, that that's an A plus. They got they got an well, let's put it this way. I, I would grade it in two ways. An A plus for, for, for that part of it, what was, what was going on as far as the, uh, uh, how money managers investors work, it's just brilliant as far as that's, that's concerned. And the, the tension that develops and, and, and how difficult it is from an emotional perspective to, uh, to keep those investments going. But an F for the long-term message because they, they just did not deliver that properly it gives a, a wrong message that the problem is with the banks and that just regulation of the banks will solve the problem. But as long as you have the Federal Reserve printing money, that money's going to get out there somewhere and it will find the place that's, that's not regulated and you'll get the next boom and it'll surprise everyone. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Robert Wenzel, EconomicPolicyJournal.com. Thank you very much for your time. Great. My pleasure. Thank you, James. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. But before we put a bow on today's conversation and tell you what you need to be reading up in order to study ahead for next month's edition of this series, first of all, as always, let's turn back a month and take a look through the comment section on the previous edition of this podcast at CorbettReport.com, namely FLNWO number 31 on The Manchurian Candidate with Tim Kelly of the Our Interesting Times podcast. A lot of interesting uh, comments in the comment section, as always, including a few recommendations that I can't necessarily vouch for myself as I haven't read or seen them, but... Uh, we had, for example, a render review recommending the Our Brand is Crisis documentary, not the film, the documentary, to talk about the manufacturing of the consent of the electorate. Uh, we had Nanza Momich recommending the Bangkok Asset by uh, Asset by John Burdett, who apparently uh, name drops MK Ultra in the acknowledgments of the book. And we have Kukulin recommending the Quiet American by Graham Greene, uh, the book by Graham Greene, of course, then made into a movie with the help of the CIA, which, as uh, as Kukulin points out, pretty much inverted the meaning of the book itself, which is an interesting point. And I have read the book and seen the movie, but it's been 
a pretty long time since I've done either. So it might be good to revisit that and might be a good uh, future candidate for this series itself. Uh, there was also some comments in, for example, from uh, Ralpho Davis, who uh, writes to say this, the Manchurian Candidate, may be the original limited hangout submission by the MSCIA Hollywood. Manufacturing consent for mind control tech has been relentless since with, uh, since with massive proliferation of carrier wave transmission. And he goes on to recommend an interview with Dr. John Hall. Uh, we had MP Radio write in to say, Hi, James, I greatly enjoyed this, this discussion, especially toward the end when you touched on the possibility that even since this, even the sincere alternative media might be playing some kind of role in the big plan. I wondered that myself and continued pondering it actively for a few days after listening to this. Then, as luck would have it, while listening to you and James Evan Pilato talking about Davos and robotics, a thought occurred to me that might connect the dots. You pointed out that the population reduction phase of the big plan might become imminent if the masses were not even needed as carriers of water, to quote the report from Iron Mountain. Given that war is the best way to reduce the population, world war, civil war, etc., perhaps feeding into the alternative narrative gives the planners a third front, in addition to the East-West conflict that seems to be brewing, of self-identified nonconformists, think the Great Leap Forward, against whom to fight, and our job in the alternative media is to get that group ready for battle. Obama's brilliant program of getting as many guns and ammo into the hands of this self-selected group could also play into this. Love it when you peel that extra layer of the onion. A uh, very interesting comment, and I think that is an apt observation, which is why I think it's always incumbent on the alternative media not to denigrate or put down or or belittle people who uh, have different points of view or who haven't woken from conditioning, mainstream conditioning yet, because, again, if we dehumanize and uh, distance ourselves from that group, it does set up the civil war type narrative that you're talking about there. And I think that is part of a, a long-term plan. I mean, again, I think social engineers are not stupid and they understand where where this narrative heads and as long as they can push it to a head and make these crazy prepper people go crazy and start shooting people and whatever then they win that game that narrative because then they can come in and crack down on it so i think it is important uh, to think about how the alternative media to the extent that it advocates violence and and bloodshed is exactly playing into the hands of that uh, that paradigm so uh some good food for thought there and also, uh, J.P. Sousa67 leaves an interesting comment. Uh, what are we to make of the references to Abraham Lincoln in the form of the stepfather's costume and the bust in his office? Is this simply a foreshadowing of his impending assassination? Or is it an indication that mind control assassins may be a much older tool of the political class than is typically thought? An interesting observation. I must admit, I didn't. I saw the Abraham Lincoln costume and I did not really think about it. I didn't ponder it. But Yes, I mean, I think perhaps both of those uh, possibilities might be true, a foreshadowing of the assassination, but also, yes, the idea that, uh, well, this this game of, you know, mind control assassination may be much older than we originally thought. So an interesting comment there. Thank you for bringing that up. And finally, uh, in the comments from last month, we had a comment, I guess, presaging this conversation on the big short from Zafanis, who writes, uh, Hi, James, I want to thank you for all the hard work you've given us. I just saw the movie, The Big Short, and was fortunate enough to enjoy it with some family. I found it really informative and, and enjoyable, especially near the end, where the narrator explained all the would-be financial reforms that happened because of housing the housing bubble. I almost started booing out loud and throwing popcorn at the screen because we know that nothing was done. But then the narrator said, just kidding. 
So he goes on to talk about uh, having seen this movie with uh, a few of his friends, including a newly graduated economist, a self-made conspiracy theorist, a CNN viewer, and an introvert of peace seeker. And he said, I found myself having a conversation for just a few minutes with the conspiracy theorist and the economist. We all could agree that one of the best aspects of this movie is that it brought these issues to the big screen and hopefully more people will be talking about them. I wonder if this type of movie are, is just given to us in order to, for us to feel better about the economic issues that are happening. I remember listening about a human reaction that just by listening or being aware of the problem, it would make us feel better about ourselves and would probably discourage us from t- taking any other actions. I'd love to hear your comments on this movie. Also, I read several comments uh, from subscribers on your website. I have to admit, it was intimidating writing something that would not be up to the grammar or philosophical standards upheld by your subscribers. You have been an inspiration. And I continue. uh, I hope you continue your much appreciated work. Well, thank you for that comment, Zephanis. Trust me, I'm not going to denigrate anyone for uh, improper grammar or not the deepest philosophical insights. Please do leave your comments and reactions in the comment section. I think it is a vital part of what we're doing here as uh, people interact and uh, and hopefully, again, as, as I like to say, learn our way forward together with... Uh, providing new insights and ideas and links and uh, and other things in this open source community. So please do get your comments in. If you uh, if you like the Big Short, if you hated it, if you thought we missed something out of this conversation, leave your comments in the comment section of this post on CorbettReport.com, and I'll go over them at the end of next month. Speaking of next month, here is the point you've all been waiting for. Drumroll, please. What are we going to be talking about next month? We're going to be talking about the sci-fi classic from Robert Heinlein, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress. And as always, if you don't know about that book, I will include a link in the show notes so that you can, uh, well, get your copy and get started reading. So good luck. I'll talk to you again uh, on this podcast next month and hopefully a lot sooner on CorbettReport.com. <laughs>